Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denton. Yay! Uh, applause from one. Um, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers creative people, smart ideas, innovators, um, people who are really good at reimagining how we think, live, play, work, etc. cetera. Uh, and today, I'm very pleased with the extra, I have extra ease on it for you. I'm very pleased to have Chantel Martin here in the studio with us. Hi, Chantel. How are you? I'm pretty good. That was me clapping over here. Yeah. Woo! Audience of one. Yes, like golf clap. <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, do you play golf? I've never played golf. Hmm. Maybe in my horizons. I think you, yeah. I think it, it, golf would look good do on you. Do you play golf? I caddied for a good majority of my teens and 20s, which okay. is how I bought my first car. I did pretty good. Oh, and then I was on, go. I was also, also on my high school golf team. Okay, so maybe we'll do golf sometime. There's one right down the street. 2020. Yeah, 2020. <laughs> so you got to set goals. <laughs> um, so let's pretend you're at a dinner party. Okay. And somebody's like, what do you do? Which I know is a question you hate from your work. Yeah. Um, but how do you answer that question? I usually like to just flip mode, reverse it, and ask them what they do or why they ask that question. And then usually that, you know, especially at your dinner party, that's a good opportunity to, you know, sphere into a different direction. So, so you flip it on it. I flip it. Let's say you were required to answer. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like, funny. Well, like, how do you explain your bio? Like, you know if, what I mean? Like, if you if I'm required to answer, what I typically usually say is I draw, and they're like, oh, okay. And I say, yeah, I, I and I and they say, can you elaborate? And I say, yeah, I draw large scale, small scale, high tech, low tech, everything in between, because. You know, I could just come out with like the big projects and stuff that I've worked on, but I love the idea that drawing is accessible and it's something we all do. So I love to just say I draw because yeah. I feel like it's the most relatable thing that we yeah. could potentially have. That's cool. Yeah. Um. So you draw. So I'm going to read. Can I read? You yeah, yeah, I read? yeah. That's I'm pretty good at it. Okay. I've been. Let's, let's try like it. Six, I'm six months in. Okay. I can't read your writing. Though, That's but. good. No, no, you, I didn't want you. And it's upside down. <laughs> so you definitely can't read it. Martin is a cultural facilitator forging new connections between fine art, education, design, philosophy, and technology. Doesn't say anything about drawing there. But um, how do you explain that? You could say drawing is actually the foundation of all those things. Drawing is the foundation that holds all of those different areas and industries and mediums. So essentially what... I would use to explain that is that I have a fundamental style or a fundamental foundation, and that can be used in any industry, in any medium. That's, that's great. Um, so when did you, and I'm, let me start here. Uh, the one thing that, that really strikes me about you yeah. is you have a lot of inputs. You're uh, black, British, uh, Jewish, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> spend time in Tokyo. <laughs> Um, lesbian, like there's so many different like inputs that sort of guide or make up who you are. Uh, how does that come up or affect your work or does it at all? Yeah. It's interesting because there's a lot of boxes I could put myself into. And, and I, as an artist, I like to point out that we didn't make the boxes, so we shouldn't put ourselves in them. And obviously some of those roles, like we play those roles. That is who I am. If you see me, if you know me, that's who I am. But it doesn't necessarily play a role in what I do. And, you know, you have some artists or activists where that is at the forefront of what they do, where I feel like I'm working towards a higher narrative. I'm acknowledging those factors and I'm acknowledging those parts of me because I am a part of those communities but the work itself is an, in many ways about a higher narrative and that narrative is about freedom of expression it's about asking questions it's about knowing self how do you balance that with like I had an interesting conversation with an uber driver recently and we were talking about the idea of symbols Right. Mm. And what Barack Obama represented, what Trump represented. And uh, surprisingly, he was a black Trump supporter. And I don't want to make this a political conversation. But I was like, oh, really? Like, I was, I was yeah, so, yeah. like intrigued by that. And we started talking about the idea of symbols. And I was like, the symbol of a black president, you know, represents a lot for a lot of people. And the symbol of what a Donald Trump is represents a lot for a lot of people. And I think it's the same thing when people do need to check those boxes in some to some degree. Um, so is that like an entry point for, you know, how do you how do you balance that entry point for certain people and then broadening it out? Yeah, I think it's an entry point for other people. It's not an entry point for myself. Right. I'm on this journey where I'm trying to find my way through this language of words and lines and drawings and connecting and experiences. 
And when other people see me on that journey, those are their entry points for them perhaps to join in on this journey or to perhaps have that journey themselves. Right. Um, when did you recognize what the journey was going to be? At, at some point there was you and a pencil and you're like, this is fun. And then there was like, oh shit, this is real. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like I'm still very much on that journey. You know, yeah, there's the pencil and it's my career now, but what is the future? I don't really know. But, you know, going back as a kid, yeah, I drew. I never knew that being an artist was something I could do. I never knew artists or galleries or museums or there wasn't any role models of people that did those things around me. And that's something that is really great about social media and the internet now is that we have those windows into these potential opportunities or potential careers or potential future selves. Um, for me, it's just been this journey of saying yes to yes, no to no. And I wake up one day and I wake up most days now and I'm an artist and I'm still managed to be an artist, but I don't know if that's going to be the case for the future. I, I love that yes to yes and no to no because um, I experienced it with you. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was actually really cool. Um, do you ever feel like there's a risk in the no? I think when you're in the creative craft and you're like opportunities may or may not, like depending on what level of your career you're in, um, present themselves or come back around or whatever. There's this fear-based thing that we kind of approach certain opportunities with. Um, and uh, so how do you how do you balance that, right? And yeah. just go like, all right, it could be cool, but it's not, but I'd maybe, yeah. I, you know. Well, a lot of it, you you know, you learn by mistakes, you know, you learn by, and, I, and maybe they're not mistakes, but you learn by the journey. And the journey is when you do say yes to things that felt like a no, you always come to the realization of why it felt like a no later on. You're like, ah, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew, I knew it. I was going to get murdered. Yeah, I knew it. Um, <laughs> but you know, th th that's that training. You've got to train that reflex and you've got to train your trust in yourself um, and we need to go through those experiences because you don't really know what a no is until you've been there and you've done that and you've um, you've repeated that to the point where you get to be like, okay, no, like this is a yes. Now I know what a yes yeah. is and I know I need to say no to no, even though these opportunities seem like they're like really amazing. But, you know, as an artist, we have to just think about looking back over your career and you want to look back over your career and be proud of it and you want it to make sense and you don't want to look back and be like, see these like, blips or these nightmares of the projects that you knew you shouldn't have done so in in a way the way you overcome that is by looking back and and wanting to be proud of what you've done in many ways have you ever had a surprise on the flip side though like you go like uh i wanted to say no i said yes and it turned out to be amazing i would like to say yes but no <laughs> <laughs> people are gonna be like, so confused by this part yes. of the they're gonna have to rewind it <laughs> like wait no or yes yeah i can see a big map on the wall with all the yeses and the no's <laughs> and where they went yeah look I, so on the work tab of your website you don't have tabs so forgive me but like as you scroll that like it's an endless scroll yeah you know and it, there's a lot of collaboration. There's Nike, there's Puma, there's Kendrick Lamar, there's New York City Ballet. There's all these different outlets. And you've had to go through this decision tree often. I think that, you know, a lot of listeners on this show are entrepreneurs and innovators in their own right. And there's always like a thousand decisions you have to make in a day, a week, a month, yeah. or whatever. Um, how do you approach those collaborations? What boxes do they need to check? You know, uh, how do you how do you go yeah. about that? Well, firstly, I'm a, a small operation. You know, it's myself and one assistant, one kind of mobile assistant. And so, firstly, you know, it's um, shout out to Daniele. Yes, shout out to Daniele. Um, everyone thinks he's a girl, but he's a guy with a beard. Um, but you know, and that's going to totally distract me. The and, bearded and, lady. <laughs> does but he sing too? He, he does, I think. It's like um, the greatest showman all over here. You know, I, I use things as a filter. You know, firstly, does morally or ethically it align with what I'm doing? You know, I'm not going to work with brands or products or people that I don't agree with their views or their ethics or what they're doing. And then secondly, you know, there's all those other checkboxes where, you know, is it manageable? Is it something that you can handle as a studio? Um, is it something that I'm excited about? Is it something that exposes to a new demographic? Is it something that I couldn't make by myself? Is financially, does it work? You know, is it pushing myself as an artist and the message that I'm trying to tell to people? Are we able to do all these things? And if so, yes, let's do it. You know, yeah. time permitting. Uh, the word that I picked up on there, I mean, I was paying attention. Yeah, yeah. But the one word <laughs> that kind of stood out to me is ethics. Because I think we live in a time right now where there's a lot of hypersensitivity around who did what and said what to whom, whether it's brand to consumer or there's missteps. And, you know, I 
obviously the more you open yourself up, there's going to be layers of a business that you don't quite know. Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation about uh, uh, R. Kelly earlier today. Uh. And it was just like, I'm sure there were some people in the circle who did like, oh, what? He did what? Like when it first started to happen. Um, but you made all your ethical decisions with the information you had. Uh, how do you handle sort of, and I don't know if you've run into that as an issue, but you know, just the risk factor of somebody like what would you do yeah well you you know i've not i've been fortunate enough not to run into any like major situations i can think of off the top of my head but you know you have to with any industry you assess the risk and if something comes up then hopefully you are able to act in a in a way that is accordingly and that is respectful and that upholds the values that you're preaching anyway so Uh, I've I've been fortunate enough not to have come across that situation, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens. Just in you the wait future. a minute. Yeah, what yeah. Do you, what do you see this uh, episode get published? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow! I didn't know he was doing crack. Um, one of the recent collaborations is uh, the sweatshirts and coding. Okay. Um, which, by the way, I listened to a lot of your music on the way here. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> I had, I had uh, put it on your back. Okay. Uh, on repeat. So, uh, which made me think Put about it the sweatshirt. on your back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Live live rendition. You have your acoustic yeah. guitar with you. Um, no, but tell me about that, like that collaboration, because I think that's pretty exciting, especially like with the cause behind it. Yeah. So, like walk us through, walk us through that. Yeah. And if you look back, a lot of my projects are, you know, there's, there's some kind of cause or institution or, um, you know, uh, I guess call to action involved in some way. And so I've, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, I just launched a collection of hoodies with Cardi Kloss, who has um, Code with Klossy, which is to promote, you know, young girls, but also just mostly women in code in an area where, you know, like many areas there is, um, a discrepancy or the, there isn't a system set up to really support these people in that area. And, and so I've, I've known Carly for a few years now and, and I've also been involved in, you know, as you mentioned earlier, in, in technology and stuff like that. It's a no-brainer. You know, it's we make something fun. We make a hoodie. 100% of the profits go to Code with Clossy. That's something that Carly's already invested in. It's uh, an area that I've always been invested in or have been for a very long time. You get to wear a nice hoodie. You look cool you're supporting a good cause, you know, it's easy. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And I read a little bit that you have some coding experience yourself. Yeah. Um, a, a little bit. So, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you know, but I've been like a scholar at MIT for a couple of years I working in social computing and, you know, working <laughs> alongside computer scientists and things like that. And then I've been uh, teaching for several years at ITP at NYU, which is, you know, a program, a master's program that's very heavily involved in coding and programming and Arduinos and things like that. So why, why are you so multidisciplinary? It's... <laughs> It's a, there's a there's a lot to you. You're like a Rubik's cube of skill sets. I like to just say I draw, and uh, you know, yeah, and, but. And, but, but but you know, I and I say that because it is the most simple thing, but profoundly it goes into any and every industry. And so, even you know, going backwards as a kid, I've always been interested in systems and how things work. And and yes, I'm an artist and I draw, but I'm also interested in science and neuroscience and technology and coding and gaming and programming. And then, and so these just interests happen to just kind of all roll in together. Or I, I, I make sure that they all roll in together. Well, that's that's what I'm going to ask like. too, because I, I, I think personal brand management yeah. is important and or difficult when you are sort of a multidisciplinary yeah. creative spirit. Um, and I run through the same thing. Like I look at innovation as ubiquitous, you know, because the principles of innovation go everywhere. Yeah. So if I can meet with a sneaker company or I can work with the government, it's still the same principles and it's still me, you know, yeah. if, 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 who are you? You are yeah, you. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, it's tough in one hand because you, you know, a lot of things are about perception and how things look. And on one hand, you could say, well, Chantel, it doesn't look good if you do everything and we can see your art everywhere. You know, if we can see your art on fashion and technology and in education and in schools and in sculpture and in TV, like, well, what do you do or what don't you do? And doesn't that devalue what you do? And my answer is I can do whatever I want if it's to a really high standard and to a really um, high quality and it pushes my philosophy and my message and I get to expose what I'm doing to a demographics or different demographics and what's wrong with that and so 
it's just you know but there is a fine line of just kind of knowing what is too much and where is too much and and you know does it water it down or you know there's this horrible term called selling out which doesn't relate to what I'm doing because what I do is ethically and morally aligned with what I want to do right and selling out is when you go against that so um I think there is just a, a very fine line with with that whole sphere of of being interested in so many industries yeah I, I think about the whole filtering process you know um when you are sort of art in in and of itself and most creative crafts or any like business endeavor is subjective to a degree mm-hmm. right art very much so you know does my social media app work sure okay then you're <laughs> you're okay um how do you filter through that feedback because some of the stuff you may get back is like oh you, you're diluting or, or you're yeah, selling yeah. out like there might be some validity to it and is that your own self sort of checklist like all right have i done enough technology this year or the, <laughs> like that's something i'm learning and i'm growing in that area yeah. and you know i think that just comes down to a little bit about knowing what your destination is versus being reactive and so my career up until now and and still now is very reactive and what i mean by that is people come to me and say chantel we love you to do this and i say yes or no yes or no yes or no but what that means is you're not steering your own ship that ship is you're going wherever that ship takes you and so a goal for mine in the future is to be like you know 2022 2023 this is where i want to be this is what i want to do and the percentage of that it looks like there's 20% of talks and there's 10% of technology and there's 10% of education and there's 10% of my own one woman show and there's 20% of art or art sales or art initiatives. And then, you know, all, up to 160%. Yeah. So you know, I'm not good at math, <laughs> um, but, but you know, then, then you work backwards. And then once you know kind of how you want to divide your time, then perhaps it's easier or that becomes the new filter for, you know, what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to. You get to be the CEO of you. Essentially, that's what artists are these days. You know, we're CEOs, we're production companies, we're we're businesses, we're we're many, many things. But it does, um, and, and, you know, comparing us to companies is why some, maybe I'm being reactive is because unlike companies, I, we don't have five-year plans and we don't have business strategies and we don't have boards of advisors and, we don't have these trains going. We don't by have trains and buses and <laughs> automobiles and bibbing in the background. But it would be so much more helpful if there was a model or a plan that says, okay, as an artist, you know, this is what the next five years look like. And here's a board of advisors. And this is how you grow. And this is how you evolve. And these are the types of things you should be doing. Those things don't exist. So we do have to learn by trial and error. And we do have to kind of work things out as we go. But now I've have a few years behind me, I'm in a position where I can imagine what the future could look like or begin to imagine what the future looks like and start to strategize there. What does it look like so far? So far, it looks like, you know, I am a multidisciplinary artist, even though I don't like that work, but, you know, I'm working in academia, institutions, fine art, commercial, branding, some spaces in between. Um, I I believe that I am... Um, one of many artists that have been pushing this idea that you can work between industries and mediums and that is okay and that doesn't devalue the work and and myself and other artists have able to create perhaps a slightly better more transparent part of the art world that exists out there yeah there's one of the things i love about what you said is that uh, there's a business opportunity in there for somebody, right? Yeah. Um, where to create sort of that non-traditional business model that works for artists, almost like a plug-and-play system mm-hmm. of operation. Um, I couple that with the fact that I think it was 2015 or 2016, there was a TED Talk that went viral about multi-potentialites. Okay. And, you know, what happens if I'm five? And I do like, you know lego as much as i like reading harry potter as much as i like science and and i have all these things that i can do and that i'm capable of doing but the world wants me to pick a pick a lane Mm -hmm. um and i think with social media and a lot of other factors or just the work that you do you're giving people permission to explore all the different sides of themselves um do you ever look at your work as giving people permission because there's there's a a trail of people behind you that yeah. are like ah. I, I didn't at first but now i see people coming from behind in a sense and 
I've seen how that that's paved the way because 10 years ago, these people, a lot of people wouldn't be able to do the, the things that they're doing now. And, and especially artists coming from the, the gallery world that now are okay doing the types of projects um, people like myself have been doing for many, many years. So I'm seeing the results already of that world changing. Yeah. And on the, on the business side, um, what was the biggest lesson you had to learn? Like once you went from sort of crafts to like, oh, this is, this is real world yeah. stuff. This is my livelihood. Um, what was that big? On the business side, you know, the, the biggest lessons have been with contracts and agreements, you know, and, and you understand that businesses have contracts to protect themselves. And whenever they engage or collaborate or work with an artist, they ask that artist to sign a contract and, um, it's protecting them, but most often it's not protecting us. And, and as artists, we take the bigger risk, you know, because typically if we're working with a large institution or a large company, financially, they could bankrupt us 20, 150 times over if something did go wrong. So yeah. the risk is on us. It's not on them yet. They have this document that protects them pretty much solely. And so the learning experience has been, you know, um, finding those red flags and calling things out and asking for more transparent kind of agreements. And also in as much of a helpful way as possible, pointing out the pitfalls of contracts and agreements and terms that they put in there that really are not in the favor of the artists. And, you know, I've, it, it's funny now people's people kind of, you know, some people I believe feel like I'm hard to work with or, you know, cause I want to have this control or I'm very, um, you know, I'm very particular about what my rights are as a individual yeah, and yeah. as an artist. And, and so, it, but it's funny because, you know, I think if I looked and was a, you know, if I was a, a white guy and I'm saying, you know, these work, these points don't work for me because you get racial reassignment surgery, but okay, way, so I'm no. going to look into that. Okay, Actually, cool. I don't want to look into that, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, um, it's, up to us as artists to educate ourselves and look for these pitfalls because these are the things that can come around and bite us in the future and we don't have a leg to stand on. And so the, the biggest thing I've learned in business is to educate myself on as many points that are in the business as possible. Yeah. And a lot of those come down to legal. That's great. No, because I, 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 look, I think about as you were speaking is like big business almost looks at creativity as a commodity, yeah. right? Like, you know, in my silly mind, I was just thinking about the Ray Charles movie and he was like, yeah. I want to own my masters. Mm -hmm. And you're like, nobody's ever done that before. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Um, and I think a lot of times you're, you're dealing with perception versus reality, yeah. right? Oh, you're, you draw. Yeah. That will handle the, the, this stuff. And so it, the sort of hard to work with comes from like, no, I actually understand the business side of it too. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where a friend of mine said, you, you know, know enough to be dangerous. Like, yeah. You don't have to be a legal expert and go to yeah, law school. Yeah. But like, uh, that line doesn't sound right. Yeah. How did you go about educating yourself? Did you take classes? Did you ask friends? You know, learning from experience and, and unfortunately learning from being taken advantage of or being exploited through such contracts and agreements and you know if if you're smart you only let that stuff happen once well if you're yeah. smart maybe you don't let it happen at all but you know a lot of us don't have that um legal or financial help at first as an artist you know a lot of us are literally out there as individuals struggling trying to yeah. figure things out and and we don't have that support around us of people to um be able to you know look at these documents and so you know i've been in situations before where you know, the work or my time have, has been exploited. And then, you know, you go, you fall back to this document and you realize that if it's not in there, it doesn't exist. And, yeah. and so you have to make sure certain things are in there. And, and, you know, this term of like a standard agreement, you know, there, there is no standard agreement. I'm not a standard artist and this isn't a standard project and this isn't a standard agreement. You can make changes. And often, you know, companies will be like, well, this other artist signed it. And I'm like, well, I'm not that other artist. <laughs> yeah. And so we can change it. Um, but, you know, I, often I would do work and, you know, I would create this work, which would then need to be destroyed or come back to me as an artist. And it would turn up in like the CEO's home or something or, you know, it, and nice. And or, you know, <laughs> I would give work um, to a charity and then it would end up 
you know, in I would I give the work to be auctioned at a charity, and then it would pop up in like the head office or s- somewhere else. And yeah, those are scenarios you can't plan for. Like, and, it's just, yeah. yeah, and and you realize a, a lot of companies, it's just the cost of breach. You know, they say one thing, but yeah. then it's a matter of the cost of breach. You know, and 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 often in those situations, you know, often in those situations is that there has been the, the good intention, but you know, once someone higher up says, oh, actually, we can't, we're not going to destroy this. I, I want it in my office. They're going to be like, okay. But instead of, you know, following through and coming back to the artist to be like, can we make an amendment to the agreement? Mm-hmm. They just take it. And, um, you know, Instagram is amazing now because if people see it and they love it, they'll pull it on Instagram and then you find out. And and so that's how I found out a lot about kind of the work that's that's been taken or used in ways that it shouldn't have been um, because of people who've posted it online. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. Yeah, because I, I mean, as you think, like, you know, I think contractually, there's so many things you can't plan for, like a what if or that one word, yeah, completely changes the meaning of you know that point. Yeah, and none of us have had experience in fighting these agreements or upholding these agreements in court, so we really don't know what the result yeah. of them is. And and you know, a lot of these companies, their lawyers, you know, that it's big business a lot of the time, and their lawyers are used to winning. You know, it's a win-win. Yeah. And I've, I, you know, I think. Uh, last year or earlier this year, I had an agreement where it says, you know, Chantel will never do anything similar to what she's doing for us. And I, I had to be like, like uh, and I had me? to be like, I have a recognizable style. Like, right, it, right. It, it will be similar to something I do. And then I said, well, what if we base it on copyright law? You know, and I was like, copyright law is like a 10% margin. Like, so if I do something that's at least 10% similar, you're going to potentially sue me. But, you know, and it's right. on one hand, it's like, we want to support you and hire you and we want your work, but just don't do anything similar, even if you have a recognizable style. And it's, they're so used to win-win and they don't actually sometimes know who or what they're doing. How do you retain the joy of the work despite <laughs> that side of it? I love learning. So at the same time, you just see it all as a very large learning experience, that, you know, <laughs> which they should have. Is, is this what you tell yourself? This, or is, is, this you is what I tell myself. <laughs> this is when I go to sleep, I'm like, you know, I'm learning here. This is all a good experience. But I think it's slowly changing in schools. You know, we go to art school and we learn nothing about taxes and agreements and consignments and nothing about the business of art, only making art. And in some ways, I believe that's intentional because it keeps us ignorant. And yeah. when we're ignorant, then everyone else can make money from us and we're exploited. Um, you know, there is this argument that, well, if we teach you about the business side of art, then that would take away from the creativity. And I, I think that's a little bit of BS because in any industry, it's good just to know about these different areas Absolutely. in what you're doing. And not all of us come from privileged environments where we do have our own CPA or we do have our own lawyer or we do have this network of people that are there at the beginning to support us and protect us. How did you grow up? In what sense? For those that may not know what that is, like Eric. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Um, I grew up, (laughs) you know, I'll try and um, take a guess of what you mean, but um, I grew up in London, southeast London, in a lovely place called Thamesmead. It's one of these, I think it's probably one of the biggest council estates, which sounds nice, but basically means it's like a big project mm-hmm. um, in Southeast London. I've seen Top Boy. Yeah, it's not on Top Boy though. Top okay. Boy is yeah, in a right. different part of the country, but it's on Misfits. Do you remember Misfits? Yeah, I love Misfits. Okay, so that's Season where I grew one. up. Season, Season one weird, was yeah. good and then I stopped yeah, watching. But, but like Clockwork Orange, Misfits, mm-hmm. so that's, that's Thamesmead, that's where I grew up. They're actually knocking most of it down now. Like they are a lot of these... Um, kind of estates that they built. But, you know, I grew up um, Southeast London, born in the 80s, um, grew up in a very white working class council state. And then I'm brown with an Afro, which was, you know, an interesting way of growing up because it taught me from the beginning that I never fitted in. And in a way that gives you a little bit of a superpower because if you don't fit in, that means either you um, resolve yourself in that and Mm -hmm. you become a part of that or you look elsewhere. And I feel like you know, I've been fortunate enough to be given that passport where at a young age, I was always like, there must be something better than this. And even though we didn't have really the internet then, um, you know, I would dream that there was a place where I could fit in or where it was okay not to fit in. And um, so, you know, I eventually got myself to art school, even though, you know, no one in my family even ever finished school, like secondary school, my grandmother, my mother, my siblings, and now my nieces and nephews. So, so I'm, you know, definitely kind of the exception of the, the, uh, family or you know some some of these areas that have these types of systems in place 
Um, but you know, it's, it's been interesting and I, I believe I, I've, I'm lucky in the sense that I have different perspectives yeah. and I've been able to see different kind of ways of life for whatever that means. What, what stays with you? Like, you know, my, my mom grew up in the projects of Detroit. We weren't well off in the beginning, but you know, and then my mom took herself to school at age 33 and, you know, and finally like ended up with yeah. two master's degrees. So I got to see this, like an, an interesting journey yeah. and, subconsciously i don't even think i realized i learned from that until maybe like two years ago <laughs> like somebody somebody asked me a question i was like maybe it came from and it wasn't therapy but it was a therapeutic conversation um but like what sort of life lesson you know kind of sticks with you from then to, to now you gotta be confident and you gotta know yourself and you gotta own it in many ways um so i think you know, especially I realized this going to art school where you have people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds and, you know, and very privileged and everything in between. And, and you turn up and you're the most confident person in the room and you're like, wait, I didn't go to fancy school. Like my family doesn't have all this. Like, but how comes I'm okay with like standing up in front of a class and kind of owning it or, or, um, so I think, you know, it, it taught me confidence and it also taught me that, you know, you, you can't judge people because, you know, everyone has their own story and everyone is, is trying to fight in so many different ways. And so, um, you just got to push, push in many different ways. When did you land on sort of this self philosophical self-exploration as sort of the heartbeat of yeah. your work? There's always been there. And I've always, it's, it's funny. I look back through really old sketchbooks or notebooks from 10, 20, 50, you know, 25 years ago. And I'm asking the same questions. And I, I think in a way that it, it is from growing up in a family where as a kid, I always wondered like, why am I so different from my brothers and sisters? You know, we essentially, we have the same mum, we eat the same food, we go to the same school, but everything about me is so different. And mm. I used to always wonder like, why am I me? And like, who am I? And like, why am I so different? And is it genes and is it environmental? And, you know, these these um kind of conversations i would tween get angst yeah exactly and and but it's still i'm still thinking the same stuff now yeah. you know and um so i think it initially comes from under trying to question or wonder why we are we and what makes us and um that's kind of perhaps the you know the, the start of the evolution of this philosophy or finding your way or yeah. understanding who you are or are you you um, which only makes me more sad because I, I was like, I don't know how to answer those questions. Uh, but uh, but the fact, but I, I don't think you ever have an answer because I think you evolve and yeah. like the things you believed in or thought. You know, there's there's pieces of you that remain yeah. the same. But but that's the point. The the point is just about asking the question and being on that journey. Yeah. Um, what do you have against color? It's nothing against color. <laughs> I think Aside from your Puma collection, which I thought was dope. And, yeah. And I like all the other work. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, there's some color. Like, Well, what happened <laughs> there, you know, the with the, the Puma collection, it started black and white. And then we introduced, I think in the second collection, some blues appeared in. And then in the third collection, I wanted it to be like a homage um, or a flashback to like my time growing up in London and, you know, kind of going to drum and bass and jungle raves as, as a young teenager. And um so you have this evolution of, of black and white to color. So, um, you know, with black and white, especially within work, it doesn't mean that there's an absence of color. I like to see if, if the work's black and white, you bring the color. Also with black and white, there's so many layers to it. You can't hide mistakes in it. You know, if you have a black and white drawing, you've got to be confident. You can't hesitate because you can really see the mistakes in a line. And so, with color, you can hide in it. You can put some pretty colors on the mm. page and your brain kind of gets it. And then also your brain tells you how to look and where to look because we have this kind of color hierarchy. Whereas when it's black and white, you could all look at a drawing at the same time and you're all drawn to different places and different spaces. And so I like that I'm not telling you what to do. I like that you're on your own journey when you look at the work. And so it gives you this sense of discovery and rediscovery in many yeah. ways. And it's also very calming. You know, if you had a whole room which was like super colorful, um, and even, even maybe even super black and white, really dense, it, it can feel overwhelming. And when it's black and white, there's, it's very calming and, and percentage wise, my work is 90% space. I was gonna say you have a lot of negative space. So there's a lot of yeah. negative space. So essentially that's why it, it can feel relaxing and calming in so many ways. And especially given the questions that it begs. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and so sometimes you have to be calm to intake or see those questions or those phrases or those prompts that are in the work. And, and so I love that there's that like juxtaposition of like, oh, it, it gets you relaxed and calm. But then you see these kind of existential like, big phrases. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, words, line, words. What does that mean? Lines and words are the same thing. You know, words are made up of lines and we give words so much importance. And I like to point out that, you know, everything comes from lines and everything comes from us. And the emotional baggage that we give to words sometimes is is learned and it's not felt. Eminem once said, words are a motherfucker. They can be great or they can teach hate. Moving on. Whoop, whoop. You ready for the second part of the quiz? Uh, open the door to find out more. Open the door to find out more. This is about opening yourself to new opportunities, to new philosophies, to new positive things. And, and when you simply open the door, that's when you get to find out about yourself. It's about going in, not going out. You're good. Help us all rise. Help us all rise. We got to help each other. You know, we're on this, uh, one thing I learned recently is that asking for help is a strength, not a weakness. And, you know, when we go on this individual kind of ride, you know, we do ourselves a disjustice. We, we got to help everyone rise. We've got to help ourselves, but we've got to help other people on that journey too. As to be in plain sight. I don't know about that one. No. Have you seen me write that somewhere? I saw it in some, <laughs> in some, uh, some Instagram posts. Well, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. What maybe. does it mean anyway? <laughs> okay, read, read it again. Read it again. As to be in plain sight, and whoever the artist is, if it wasn't you, yeah, it, you know, it, it 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 could be. I I don't remember everything, but you know, it it just means to. There's a big push about being transparent and being honest, and a lot of the work I'm doing is done with a live audience. So I, I believe that if I create the work and you're watching, essentially, you become a part of the work, you become a part of the process, you understand the work, but also what you're doing is you're helping me keep myself honest because I don't have time to plan or think about being anyone else now because I'm doing the work in plain sight in so many ways. Way to handle being thrown a, thrown for a loop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I'll give you a call. Um, so I'm going to read again because I want to get back into this yeah, technology yeah. piece because I love like where you were especially because you drew a circuit board which i was like what's she doing yeah um martin collaborated with the social company group to use drawing as a medium to explore the intersection of social processes with physical spaces um that's from your uh from a, a pcbs a printed circuit board yes or? well yeah exactly and so um just like the work you've done with mit and i think you worked with I google for us yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so um you know how does from a practical like brass tack standpoint like what does that marriage look like in actuality the marriage of of your work and their sort of technological oh, institutions okay. it's it's just uh simply there's things i can't do by myself and so i imagine the work perhaps as, as augmented reality lines flying through space but you know, collaborating with someone that has the technology to do that, that would be great, you know, or when I'm drawing, I imagine having some types of tools that are able to recall the XYZ drawing data and the velocities and the angles and all these other kind of fun analytics of drawing. But I'm not an engineer, so I wouldn't kind of go down that road of trying to create that tool myself. But there's plenty of people out there uh, that I can and could collaborate and do collaborate with that can help me kind of solve those questions or issues or challenges that I set myself. That's great because it, it, it's funny because I almost think of it like the flip, right? Usually I would imagine like Google wants to like reimagine space. Yeah. And so they're going to use your lines and do mathematical. I'm totally making this up, if, but it sounds like a great project. Yeah. Um, but, you know, has it happened in the reverse where somebody is looking to solve something and they feel like your work is the... Um, I to used to, years ago, I used to beta and alpha test like a lot of tools for drawing and mm -hmm. um, software and things like that. It's a lot less often now. Now it's more so, you know, me going to Google residencies and saying, hey, like, I've had this concept for this pen for years and I've tried it out in a few different, you know, iterations and it's not work. Like, can I work with your engineers to help solve this problem? And they're like, sure, great, let's do it. So um, less often am I being approached by companies to kind of solve these issues, even though I do enjoy that. I enjoy kind of taking on a new 
program or software or tool and kind of testing it and giving feedback um you know i think these things come in waves yeah. you know right now it's it's that reverse scenario um anonymity right i think in especially in art right we usually see the work before we see the artist yeah right? unlike acting or the ceo of some you know some startup which by the way i had a note in here where i said you fashion wise you're the mark zuckerberg of art I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I know. Because uh, you, like, you, you all, like every time I see you, it's black and white, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's pretty simple, no pops. And, you know, it's it's a uniform of sorts. Um, and with him, it was a hoodie. Like, it was yeah, just yeah. like, okay, like, is, is, is that deliberate? And I'm going to get back to my other question. It's just about keeping things simple. You know, yeah. I wore a uniform from 10 years, you know, white button down Oxford shirts and like shoes. Um and uh yeah it's just about keeping things simple and not having tons of choice and you know often we hear about these people that have a uniform and it works it does work it works it does it, it works well i have to like i have to flip it up every, yeah every yeah time. i love oh, your oh, i love oh, your sweatshirt oh, yeah thank you yeah like some what do you call it uh dye tie dye yeah yes. it's really cool taking it back to the 90s um but with a 2020 urban flame <laughs> <laughs> so it actually does it does kind of segue well into my question um around the anonymity part of it yeah right um is there part of you that's I'm, i don't know if reclusive is the right word but you know you are a pretty reserved person so is there a part of you that kind of doesn't want to be in the forefront but also yeah. feels like you need to be in the forefront and how do you balance it, the, you know the it's a good question I, I battle with this myself because i am a very reserved person and i do prefer to be by myself and you know, this is something I've, you know, you, you go to therapy and you talk about these things. <laughs> but, um, you know, as as a child, I would I have I'm the eldest of six kids and I would take myself away and like be by myself. And because my sisters are very loud and noisy as when I was growing up and I've always enjoyed being by myself or I've always felt that um, uh, in in a way, you know, it's a, taking yourself out of the chaos and I think these things stick with you, you know, um, now as an adult, obviously I'm not running away and hiding from my brothers and sisters, <laughs> but I still seek sanctuary in being by myself mm. and I still enjoy that. There's a conflict because I want to be more of a community and I want to um, be more social in many ways. And so the way that I'm able to do that is when I have shows or when I'm giving talks or when I'm in these projects, that's when I'm able to be social and be out there in the world and, and, you know, be a part of these communities. But in general, I'm the opposite and I want to be by myself and kind of alone. And, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those journeys to find the, the right balance. Yeah. You're like a, you're an introvert who has to be extroverted. Yes. And I find like, I, I find that there's a rhythm and like, even me, like I can, I can be, I can walk into a room and not say anything to anybody or I can yeah. walk into a room and be the life of the party. Like it just depends. Yeah. I, I, I try to honor my mood yeah. in most cases. Yeah. And I don't have to be in, you know, in my work, I don't have to draw live. I don't have to give public talks. I don't have to do these things, but I see the power and the benefit in doing those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, people, I, I think it's, Art is one of those things, but most of these, you know, sorts of organizations that we kind of look at from afar, we see work from afar, you get that inside sneak peek yeah. or you get some form of intimacy. And I think that also speaks to like the era of social media with like there's so much access to information and personality quirks and like, yeah. what did you do today? Like um, there's that proximity that I think people are, are thirsting yeah. for. It's also doing an audit of your personality. You know, I knew a long time ago that, okay, I'm, I'm quite shy. I don't like public things you know i don't like big groups of people all right that's a weakness in a sense because as an artist uh, that's something i want to do so let me focus on that and get better at that and i think sometimes we don't um push or encourage artists enough to be better at areas that then perhaps they don't have strengths in i have a friend who's like a prolific artist and he, he does a lot of um uh i guess environmentally conscious work yeah. and he's worked with Dell and Nike and, and we had a very long conversation about him not wanting to take money from those things he's like oh I want to make money other ways it's like but that like it's yeah. it's a catch 22 right you can't be a 100% 501c3 yeah. artist um and you know and make a living and do yeah. more and bigger and better products yeah. If you do want to do that, then go and live in a small town somewhere where, you know, you're not... 
Well, nobody wants to do that. No, but that's that's <laughs> the thing. It's you know, teaching is is interesting because this conflict comes up because you know the the students, you know, they they don't want to work with any brands or any um, any big companies. They you know they have this idea that they only want to do nonprofit stuff and. And, I, you know, I have to point out, it's like, you're at NYU. It's a huge brand. You know, you're wearing Nikes, you're using Apple, and you're wearing Levi's. And, and you know, you go away and do an audit of nonprofit, and you tell me, like, where you can make a change in those areas and actually what impact and effect that they are having. And then you do the same with profit, and then you come back to me. And then you tell me how you're going to pay your rent and how you're going to pay your food and how you're, you know. <laughs> and it's, in in a way, it's um, it's romantic, uh, it's a romantic kind of idea that we have in the world and how we can have an impact and change. And I think, you know, we really have to just look at things for what they are and see where we can really make an input and really make a change. And why wouldn't you take money from those? If you can, as an artist, can come in and have an impact and give them feedback and make that world better and make those brands better and make a product that is better, that can get a really positive message out there why should you not be able to then make money from that, which then you can have the freedom to then go and do other things? Yeah, you have to look at it as a as an ecosystem of yeah. opportunity, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, and and I think that's which you can leave in better condition than you found absolutely. it. Absolutely, it's like so many people have like uh, that trust fund mentality, right? Like, I, I have friends <laughs> who are well off and like you know trust fund kids and do those things. Yeah. You know, almost ninety percent of their time is like spent, you know doing good yeah but their life is a is afforded for yeah so um when you think about generations you know what i don't know i think we've been talking a lot about gen z and generation alpha and so on and so forth and how they engage with the world around them creativity business etc cetera, etc cetera. do you think about how your work may change at some point you know uh yeah. to remain relevant because you like yeah. you, you know you complex New York City ballet, like, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. There's, a, there's a, uh, an air about what you do, but yeah. like, how do you think about the other generations? You know, personally, the work has changed and it's always been evolving from, you know, being having a career as a VJ in Japan, being a visual jockey, doing live visuals in clubs, to coming to New York, to being an artist that worked mostly with fine line, to then being an artist that works with larger lines, and, and then being an artist that works with, you know, different areas and industries and scientists and dancers and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, I think there's room for everyone to have an evolution in their work and it, that evolution shouldn't be first, like um, forced or pushed. Um, that evolution has to happen organically. And, and um, you know, otherwise you're kind of trapped in a time bubble and no one's really learning or growing in any way. Yeah, no, that's great. Because, I, I, I mean, I just think about that, like most especially in music industry, like every industry has its phase of relevancy yeah. and some of them stand the test of time. And so, you know, I didn't know if you, like that's, if you, if you even think, like, I don't yeah. think about my work in that way, yeah. you know, I, I think yeah. about it in terms of balance, right? But, yeah. um, but I'm kind of like most days just, I'm, I want to do what I want to do. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting as an artist, you are fortunate in the sense that you do get to look back at your work. And it's quite visual in the change and in that progress. And, yeah. and some industries, you're not able to do that. You're not able to have that power of reflection in such a, a visual and visual, you know, visual way. Um, but as an artist, we are. And, and so, you know, two years from now, I'm sure I'm going to look back and be like, oh, I was doing that type of work there. But the fingerprint, the identity, the the, the style is is very similar. Perhaps the the context or the medium has changed and evolved. Um, one more question before I start winding down. Because I think about the idea of perfection mm. and, you know, maybe the lack of seeking that out in art. But you also mentioned like the black and white actually almost forces you to some degree of perfection because you can, like you said, you can't hide the mistakes. Yeah. Um, what's your relationship with perfection? Another word would be mastery. You know, I, after living in Japan for five years in this culture that is very craft based and in a culture where you see generations practice and evolve things over time you get to see that oh it's okay to be patient and it's okay to take your time and it's okay to really take a simple element of everything and focus on that one thing and for me it's a line you know and that's why I keep saying simply I draw because that's what I'm trying to master in this lifetime I'm trying to simply draw and create something that is recognizably me that I am very confident at and very 
strong at and um but there's always room to grow and there's always room to evolve in that beautifully stated um the show is called innovation crush is there anything out there that you personally have a crush on like is there like it could be a cuisine a restaurant experience uh not your own work i know you love your own work (laughs) (laughs) but uh oh it's um it's such a good question, and I, I probably have lots of ways of answering it, but you know, I, I'm really not good at remembering names as well. Um, there's a brand. I'm Chris Denson. By yeah, the way. there's a brand. Okay, wait, who are you? Um, nice sweatshirt. <laughs> who are you? Okay. There's there's a nice brand that I saw yesterday in San Francisco called Industry of Nations. I don't know if you know it, but um, they do like really nice kind of tie dye t shirts and apparel, and they use. It's not like a llama, but it's another type of a llama. You it's say? not a llama. Well, still, it's another type it of. Rela- it's Who another knows? type of <laughs> goat or wool that they use. But yeah, I, I was something sh- cute. Some something cute. cute some cute animal that they use the wool, <laughs> the hair from whatever you call it. Um, so that was a really nice brand that I saw. Hmm. Um, and then you know, maybe if you do like a little summary after this interview, I can give you a list of things that, and people and no, art, this is, uh, artists this that I like. Yeah, yeah. Are, like, are you into textures? Like, you know, because as far as, because your work obviously is 2D, but like yeah, yeah. the tactile uh, Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I love how craft. things feel, yeah. Yeah. Um, last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is? Freedom to create and to express. Boom. Boom. Oh, that was it. That was, that was easy. No, that was, okay, yeah, it was, done. Yeah. It was quick. You had that one on um, Where can people go to find more Chantel Martin? You including know, spellings, because you know, there's, there's so many Chantels. There's yeah, Chantal. Yeah. There's there, Chantel. There's a lot. Um, <laughs> just, you know, do the old school thing. You can go to a website and oh. it's Chantel, S-H-A-N-T-E-L-L-M-A-R-T-I-N dot art or dot com. Or you just go to Instagram. Chantal, S-H-A-N-T-E-L-L underscore Martin. Can I ask you one typical question? Sure. 20, 30 years from now, what does Chantal Martin look like? Well, I'm, hopefully I'm retired in New Zealand and ah. I'm just sitting on some beautiful little yeah, mountain drawing. Already. Yeah, yeah, New yeah. Zealand. That's that's my uh, retirement spot. Did you hear about the guy who had a first class ticket from New Zealand to New York and he gave it to an 88-year-old black woman? I did not hear that. No, you have. Yeah. Well, everybody, you've been severely informed by <laughs> by that last anecdote. Um, thank you for joining us today. Well, this is I'm awesome. I'm glad we made it. It's a long time in the works. I know. We've been doing this for a while. Um, and hopefully we get to do it again. Okay, amazing. In, in, from New Zealand. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>